I have a confession. I do not like to admit when I'm wrong, ever. I spent the entire day with Shepard yesterday. We woke up to go to basketball at 8 a.m. We came home, the practice started at 8 a.m., so we were there much, much earlier. On Saturdays, that's even before I'm a Christian, so I was there. We went from basketball to the house. I, I had a quick lunch with a friend who was visiting. He was in the area. I get home, Shepherd and I, and the whole family, you know, as a family does on a Saturday. We do some chores around the house. I knock out my chores, laundry and toilets. Those are my two preferred chores. I don't do those at other people's houses, just at my home. Shepard and I had to make a trip to the mall. He had to return some jeans to American Eagle. I was at the mall at American Eagle. I was a Dippin' Dot and an Auntie Anne away from 2002. As we're driving from one place to the other, I made him read some sermon commentaries to me because that's what pastor's kids have to do. I said, read this out loud about Barabbas. Let's see what happens. Last night, we went and had a quick walk around the neighborhood and we continued our conversation about Barabbas and he stopped at me and said, Dad, I think you're pronouncing that incorrectly. How dare you? I think it's Barabbas. No, son, it's not. I'm the pastor. I say Bible words right 78% of the time. More than likely, it's Barabbas. He may be right. There is potential for it. Because I don't like to admit that I'm wrong. In every one of us, that creeps up. Whatever we think is right, why we think that's right. Even when we are proven wrong, we don't like to admit that we are wrong. We don't like to be proven wrong when our spouse disagrees with us. We don't like for our children to bring things to our attention that we, don't, uh, that we did not come up with on our own. We don't like to admit that we are wrong. If we're going to look at the central idea of today's text or the big idea, it really comes down to this. Regardless of what is taking place, I am the problem. Taylor Swift would go as far as say, I'm the problem, it's me. This belongs to me. The problem is me. And for every one of us in this room, that is true. Whatever we think of when we think of sin, the problem is, is you. Because you don't get to separate yourself from sin. We are the problem. Thomas Watson says this, Till our sin is bitter Christ will not be sweet. Mark chapter 15, picking up in verse 1. If you're with us for the first time, or for the first time in a long time, last week we saw as the Jewish leaders had a court in the middle of the night, which was not legal, to say to Jesus that he was an issue for them. They mocked him and they claimed, they made claims. They asked him questions about if he was the Messiah. He was not who they wanted. They could not admit that they were wrong. That they were the problem. 
Here in the text, they've delivered him to Pontius Pilate. We'll deal with him in a moment. But when they get to there, it's pretty simple. They have gone as far as they can go with the dealing with, with dealing with this man. Punishment. Conviction belong to the Romans. And there's this governor in the area named Pontius Pilate. Verse 5, chapter 15, verse 1. As soon as it was morning... Having held a meeting with the elders, the scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests, they tied Jesus up, and they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You say so. And the chief priests, they accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again. The tone is even again and again and again. Aren't you going to answer me? Look how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate, he was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. This is Passover. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and they began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests, they stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And again they shouted, Crucify him. Pilate said to them, what, what has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, over and over and over. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Because in my soul and in yours, we like to look at the notion of sin and what it has done to us. And we, sh we have a short-sighted view of its effect and its impact However dastardly you viewed sin to be, it's worse. However awful you think the behavior of another is, the, the depths of it, what underlies it, what's underneath it, it makes it much, much worse. This is not just wrongdoing, it's wrong existence. It is something that we do not know in and of ourselves as to how to correct or how to redirect. It's worse. And for those of us who live in this world, who have come to this place where we see sin poorly, we have a short-sighted view of what's actually taking place. Because when we do not realize that we are the problem, we see things like our responsibility as just a nuisance. And that's where we see Pilate in this passage. He has a responsibility. And that responsibility is full of nuisance for him. Pilate is currently in Jerusalem to prevent an uprising. It's Passover season. And during Passover, these various rebels, Barabbas included, the others who were mentioned included, 
They, they may try to overthrow the Roman government. And he wants to get to Jerusalem and deal with Jerusalem as best he can, as quickly as he can, so he can go back to his palace. He wants to go through the, get through this so that he can get back home and do what he wants to do and be who he wants to be. He has at least three guys in prison. Now keep in mind, we're on Friday at this point. There will be three people crucified in just a couple of days. We don't have to do a lot of math to see what's happening here. There is something that is about to take place. We are moments away from crucifixion, men in prison. He's not afraid of the Jewish leadership. He just sees them as a problem. He's afraid of Rome, and if these people complain about him enough, Rome doesn't really care about Pilate. They just want to have these people appeased in whatever way appeasement works. And he doesn't want them to bother Caesar in the event that Caesar would replace him so that they would not bother him anymore. The Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin that we mentioned in verse 1, they have no allegiance whatsoever to Pilate. They definitely don't love him because he has made some mistakes in regard to the, the nation of Israel. In Luke chapter 13 verse 1, actually Jesus asked about it because uh, there was a point where Pilate murdered people who were offering sacrifices. And that seems bad. History tells this to about, about him, that he, was, that he was protested trying to fly Roman banners or what they called standards in Israel because the Jewish people viewed those as idolatrous and he backed off and chose not to have the Roman banners fly in Jerusalem. There was a point where he built an aqueduct system, but in building the system, he did it with money that he collected from the Jewish offering plates. They protested over and over. They are very anti the idea of the things that Pilate has done. So here in this passage, for them to come to him, lets us know the depths of their sin and the depths of ours, because when we want what we want, we will do whatever we can get to, to, to grab that. It's morning. The elders, the scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests, they tied Jesus up, they led him away, and they handed him to Pilate, and they have a plan when they do. And the plan is this. We're going to go talk to him, but we cannot talk to him about Jesus being a religious problem for us because he could care less about the religious problem that is Jesus. For us to deal with Jesus, we need to really lean into the idea that this is an entity of Rome who wants to hold on to his power. They don't care about his religion. All that Rome cared about was the throne and holding on to that. And that's the case here. The Jewish leaders have gone as far as they can go. They get Jesus to Pilate and they say to him, he is wanting to overthrow your government. The execution is in the hands of Rome. Which we should know because Jesus already predicted that. So Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, if that's what you think, you say so. Words are in your mouth, not mine. And the chief priests were standing there accusing him of many things. Pilate questioned him again. Are you not going to answer me? They're accusing you of so much. They want you to die. But Jesus does not answer. Aligning with what we see in Isaiah 53 where Jesus, this Messiah, is going to be the, the silent suffering servant. The next thing that you see is Pilate dragging Jesus out in front of the crowd. And he is going to offer to the people an option. 
He's going to give them a decision. He's going to allow them to choose. It's a popular trope in popular culture to create villains who are the dark side, the inverted reflection of the hero. It doesn't always happen, but when you look at these various villains, they look a lot like the hero, just in a dark, distorted sense. Or if you've ever played video games, hypothetically. You may have been in a room in your college years, or your seminary years, or your pre-marriage years, or when your family's on vacation time, and you're playing a game against a friend and you've chosen a team but that friend also has chosen that team so both of you are going to play with the Cowboys and that's absolutely ridiculous, Danny. Both of us should not play with the Cowboys. It confuses the announcers. It confuses me. So the difference is that one of you is wearing white, one of you is wearing black. You, you, same names. It's inversion. In this letter, we are seeing that Pilate is going to bring before them a man named Barabbas, but that's not the totality of his name. He has a common name. His common name is Jesus. There's something common about Jesus, altogether common, that we lose sight of 2,100 years later. But here in the text, you have this common name in this world, Jesus. And Matthew tells his name is Jesus Barabbas. Barabbas doesn't just mean, that's not his last name, like Poe or Smith or Manning. It means son of someone. Two ways to read it. One is that he is the son of the father. Bar Abba. Another is that he's the son of the teacher. Regardless, both of these things are ironic at least. You have this villainous man who is attempting to revolt against Rome because that's actually what he's been arrested for, according to verse 7. There was a man named Barabbas who was imprisoned with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. There had been an uprising already where they had tried to overthrow Rome because that's the business that Barabbas is about. He wants this. He is a zealot. He is a hardcore nut job. Whether you want the left wing or the right wing, he is as far out as you can go. He is trying to remove the government of Rome. He wants the nation of Israel to be taken out of their shadow. He wanted to establish his version of the kingdom of Israel through the ways of the world. Isn't that unique? For us to attempt to establish our understanding of the kingdom of God through the ways of the world. Whatever your view of sin is, it's worse. Whatever your view of your sin and my view of my sin happens to be, it's deeper, it's darker, it's more severe. It's wicked. It's altogether wicked. And we, sadly, don't even realize the wickedness that is present in us. The crowd came up. They began to ask Pilate to do for them what was his custom. Now, here's the custom at Passover. He appeases this Jewish crowd by letting one person go, kind enough. And he looks at them after he has spent time with Jesus, who he sees no fault with whatsoever. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? He's not a problem for me. We know that moving forward because if Jesus were really an insurrectionist, then every one of the disciples would be killed 
immediately by the Roman government. They don't view Jesus as that. Do you want me to let him go? He doesn't seem to be an issue for me. But the chief priests are there and, and they see all of this taking place and they notice, they have this envy that Pilate actually acknowledges. They are jealous of Jesus because Jesus seems to be functioning in a way that is different than they think they should, he should function. So they, while Pilate is meeting with Jesus, have spread throughout the crowd to say to them that Jesus is a problem. They have murmured, they have whispered, they have let the crowds know that Jesus should be crucified. The chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. So the people are at a fever pitch. They are elevated, they are escalated, they are at the end of their rope. And this Jesus, according to everything that they are saying, that the leaders are saying to them, is an issue. Whispering. Mumbling, speaking ill of Jesus, spreading rumors about Jesus. What do you want me to do with this king of the Jews? Crucify. Pilate doesn't have a problem with crucifixion. It's just shocking. I don't know what words are offensive at your home. You just can't say that. I can't believe you said that. Crucify is one of those words throughout Rome. You don't say it out loud. A good person can't say that. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Standing there, Pilate is what's he done wrong? He actually asked them the question What has he done? They yell louder and louder and louder. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Mob mentality on display. That every one of us in our own power can fall victim to. And Pilate lets his self-interest win out and justifies the death of this Jesus. I will kill the would-be prophet for the greater good. And now, greater good would be calming down these Jewish people at this revolt, and greater good would be his own self-interest. Greater good is all around here. But there is a greater good in the midst of this darkness. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Like veins in people's necks, eyes bulging, screaming, ready to 
see a man torn apart and actually asking for it. Mark's only mentioned the crucifixion or actually the cross one time. It's Jesus alluding to the way the Roman government would, keep, would hold power. Here we see these people want an active, violent, repugnant death. No one would ever say this out loud, yet they're yelling for it. For the Jewish people, on top of all of that, for someone to be crucified is for someone to be cursed. The weird thing about Rome and the weird thing about all of us when we're being absolutely transparent is this. The Roman Empire believed that they could establish peace through this bloody, violent force. They believed that their system would bring peace to the whole world. They believed that the world would be made right through this act. But they have a misunderstanding of right. Thankfully, the Bible doesn't. When in 1 John, it says that John writes this, that this is Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, but not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. In a great display of irony, you see Jesus Christ crucified to make possible the salvation of the world when Rome was trying to hold on to their really limited peace. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, beaten with a leather whip, more than likely with pieces of metal and glass on the ends, he handed him over to be crucified. They want the unrighteous Barabbas to go free. They want the Son of the Father to go free. And for the unrighteous Son of the Father to go free. The righteous son of the father must die. Barabbas deserves to die. And Jesus deserves to live. Barabbas goes free and Jesus dies. In all of this, what I am most apt to miss because I ignore that I am the problem is this. I am Barabbas. And so are you. But I'm not just Barabbas. I'm worse. I am Pilate who neglected my responsibility. I am the Sanhedrin ignoring the Messiah in my midst. I am the crowd so wrapped up in the moment that I don't see what I'm doing is wrong. But it's worse. Because it never stops because sin, no matter how bad we think it is, is always worse. It's not things that happen out here. It's things that take place in here. I am the classist elitist who sees myself better than others. 
I'm the racist who cannot see that those who are unlike me are made in the very image of God. I'm the one who deviates from God's good design for sexual relationships and chooses to make much of myself. I'm the mother who aborts a child. I'm the murderer on death row with blood on my hands. Sin is swimming, it is swarming, and it is a cloud of darkness and death that permeates my very soul. It has distorted the fiber of my very being, and I deserve to be separated and condemned by God forever on top of forever. I'm worse. I'm the prostitute and I'm the person who pays the prostitute. I'm worse. Those sins are my sins. I am Barabbas and so are you. Though made in the image of God, I reject that very image. And the sin that crucified Jesus on the darkest day, that sin belongs to me. Every single bit of it. Every ounce. All of it. And I deserve to die. And I deserve to be crucified. And so do you. But God, who is rich in mercy, Because of the great love that he had for us has made us alive with Christ Jesus even though when we were dead in our even though we were dead in our trespasses we are saved by the grace of God and the grace of God is this the righteous son of the father dies in my place. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous one that he may bring you to God Hear me, friends, when we read a story of a guilty man set free and an innocent man being maimed and slaughtered and murdered in this place, it should cause us to see ourselves in the story of Barabbas. It should cause us to see ourselves as outside of God's grace. That is me. But in stories like this, there is this small, small hope. That though I am Barabbas... Through the crucified, resurrected Jesus, God sees me as one who belongs to him. That's the freedom we have in Jesus. For me to go free, Jesus dies in my place. I invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. Whatever your view of sin is, it's worse. If you're in this space and you've never trusted in the person of Jesus, God has provided a way in that He has provided His Son. And though you are the unrighteous Son, God offers His righteous Son in your place. So if you're in this room this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin.
Would you pray that? Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin. Because I cannot save myself. I'm sinful and I'm separated from you, but Jesus, you have offered yourself in my place. You became sin though you were not, so that I could be righteous though I am not. Jesus, I want to trust you this morning. If that's you and you prayed that, we can walk through it again. I'm in the back right hand corner and I pray, I pray, I pray every week that you would place your trust in Jesus. Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin. If you prayed something like that or, or that, those exact words and you want to talk, to, I guess come meet me. Come meet me. For believing people, many of you I know are, just remember that we're going to take communion in a few moments in the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. It is our reminder that though we deserve death, we have received his life.